Hello, and welcome to Eyes on Success, a weekly program of information on the ever-changing world of accessibility. Now here are the hosts of this program, Nancy Goodman Torpe and Peter Torpe. Hello, I'm Nancy. And I'm Pete. Okay, I know it's still winter for many of our listeners and pretty cold out there, but springtime will be coming soon. And even if you do have a visual impairment, you might be thinking about getting your surfboard out there and going surfing. It's not impossible. We'll speak with Joshua Loya, the U.S. sight-impaired surfing champion, about his experiences surfing, what adaptations are necessary, how he works with his coach, and just how fun this sport can be. But first for our tip of the week. This week's tip comes from Joshua Loya. If something is inspiring to you and you want to try it and you want to give it a shot, don't let somebody else tell you you can't, and don't let my success be a discouragement. Let my success and what I've been able to accomplish be more of an encouragement than uh, than anything else. You know, I'm very passionate about what I do. I'm very passionate about all the adventure I get to have and, and kind of the, the things I, I get to experience. Um, but I want to be really clear about something. I am absolutely not better than anybody because I surf and they don't. I'm not better than anybody because I'm on the USA Surfing National Adaptive Team, and they aren't. So I don't ever want anybody to think that um, because they're not doing what I'm doing, they are less than. I have taken the, the name Joshua the Jedi because it was given to me. It helps inspire me, and I think it's kind of a fun thing. But I absolutely cannot and will never claim to be better than anyone, even if I score better than them, even if I am objectively a more accomplished surfer than them. I guess the real bottom line is we all have our special skills and abilities, and we just have to learn what they are and how to make them flourish. And as Josh says, don't be afraid. Just if there's something you want to do, go and do it. Find a way. Let's start by meeting Joshua and learning about some of his other extreme sports activities. And if you want to go into more detail about his experience as a black belt in several different martial arts, some of them using weapons, we did a prior episode with Joshua, and that was episode number 1229, back when the show was still called Viewpoints. My name is Joshua Loya. I am a champion surfer, and I am 100% blind, as my surf coach likes to remind people. <laughs> and you've been blind since you were a kid. Uh, yeah, I was 15 when I lost the totality of my eyesight, uh, although I've been visually impaired my whole life. So we're going to be mostly talking about your surfing experiences, but you've been on the show before talking about your martial arts experiences, and I understand that's not the only other thing you do. No, no. Uh, martial arts, surfing are probably the two big ones, although you know, I've done a small amount of skateboarding in the last year or so, just a couple of times, and uh, I like jumping off of buildings and all kinds of crazy stuff there. So out of all of this stuff, what's the scariest? Judo. To be perfectly honest, the idea of being thrown and not knowing when the ground was coming scared me to death. And it wasn't until I tried it. And it, that 
was about the time that I was going through a little bit of a, a shift in my psychology and my approach to things and um, kind of embracing doing something that was scary for me and that was difficult. And it's funny because judo actually kind of brought me to surfing in a really strange sort of way uh, because I, uh, I quit my job in August of 2016 and went surfing as sort of a whim. There was a blind surf event locally here in San Diego, uh, the Swami's Surfing Association. They put on an annual blind surfing event and uh, I just tried it. I liked it a lot. And uh, the fitness that I needed to have, the balance and all of that translated really well into surfing. Apparently, you didn't let being scared stop you from getting involved in judo or in pretty much anything else. You know, I think for anybody, you know, there's value in doing something that you're not good at that scares you. And I had kind of a rude awakening how unique the priorities are in judo and how much athleticism is required. That was the part that surprised me. It was difficult. I knew I was afraid of it. And it, for a while there, I really had a hard time accepting the fall. Once I got into just, well, that's going to be part of it. And I'm going to have to learn how to handle it and learn how to, how to fall safely. Once I got into that, then I was really able to start learning some of the basics of judo. Uh, I still train in judo, even if, though it's not the highest priority of my martial arts training. But I think there's a really strong value in doing something that scares you. And, you know, like I said, I've jumped off of buildings, I've jumped out of airplanes, I've, you know, even with some of the big waves that I've surfed relevant to my surfing experience, they still haven't been as scary as judo was when I first started. So you talked about quitting your job in 2016. Can you remind our listeners what you had been doing? Sure. Um, I was the access technology specialist, or, you know, it's the, the fancy word for the computer guy at the... Braille Institute in San Diego. And I really am very passionate about the value of technology, but martial arts, adventuring, you know, extreme sports of any kind, all of that excites me way more. Right. And thankfully, I'm very fortunate to have a supportive wife who uh, she likes to tell people I like him better now that he quit his job because I'm, I'm way more myself. You know, I, I, not to say that it was a horrible job. It wasn't. I had a, had a good time there. But it, apparently, uh, if you ask her, it's a noticeable difference for the positive in terms of my general disposition. <laughs> you are listening to Eyes on Success. 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 This week's focus topic is Joshua's experiences surfing as a totally blind man. Before we get into some of the details on how you actually surf without any vision, maybe you can tell us what started your interest in surfing. How did this come to your attention? Sure. You know, as I mentioned, uh, I quit my job. The last day that I worked for Braille Institute was August 19th of 2016. And then uh, that Saturday... Uh, or Sunday, there was a, a surf event. And it's like, ah, you know what? I'm going to go try that out. And I liked it. And part of it is, just for background, I grew up in Santa Cruz, California, originally. It's a very, very famous surf town. There's kind of a very friendly rivalry between Huntington Beach and Santa Cruz, which is considered the uh, the surf city, if you will. Correct answer is Santa Cruz, of course. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I've always been around surfers. And so, 
you know, that was already there. And then a lot of the people I do jujitsu with, um, it's the same place where I train judo. You know, my jujitsu coach is a champion longboard surfer, ah. you know, real famous Joel Tudor. If you look up uh, Joel Tudor, uh, you'll see all of his surfing accomplishments and stuff. He's the guy who gave me my uh, blue belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. So this was just another sport. Surfing was in the air, in the community, and you hadn't tried it before. Yeah, it was just kind of like because it was in the community. Well, I had tried it maybe twice, you know, like yeah. I'd been to a couple of events where they kind of it's real hand holding, you know, at these events where anybody who had never tried it before can they kind of get you up and, and do the best they can to help you ride a wave. So they ease you into it. You're not immediately running 40 foot waves. No, well, I'm not running 40 foot waves either for that matter. That's that that's some craziness even for sighted surfers. <laughs> um, and, you know, that first event in August, I had run into uh, Coach Pat Weber of the San Diego Surfing Academy. And uh, he's like, man, you get some talent there, man. I'm like, oh, thanks. You know, because a lot of the same movements that you have, you have to get up off the ground quickly if you get knocked down when you're grappling or sparring. So that's a big part of getting up and surfing. And so uh, I saw him again in, in uh, June of 2017, and he said, man, if you ever want to start competing in surfing, we'll get you ready, man, you know. Um, and he just trained Scott Leeson, who is a, a guy I've competed against uh, several times. He had trained Scott to uh, his second uh, U.S. national title in surfing. I take it Scott was blind also. Yeah, Scott is blind, and, and he's still going. So you had a great coach to start you off here. Right. And, and so really what it came down to is, Hey, you, you ready? You want to give this thing a shot? I'm like, well, you know, I'm still kind of doing the judo thing. And I was real kind of not sure about it. And then he gets a hold of me in August. So two months later, about a year after I tried surfing and again, really only trial I tried, I would not consider myself a surfer at this point, really. And, uh, he said, you know, the U uh, S open of adaptive surfing is in less than two months. You register and I'll get you ready. True to his word, he got me ready, and I ended up taking third in my uh, first contest in surfing, honestly, less than two months. Wow. Uh, cool. Actual training. And since then, he's actually managed to place first in some of these competitions. My concept of surfing uh -huh. is you start on the beach, you're holding a board that's maybe a little bit longer than you are tall, you paddle out into the ocean, mm -hmm. and then this huge wave comes along and you've turned around and you ride the wave back to the beach. Can you describe what the experience is really like? You're pretty close. So when you're first starting out, you usually have two major breaks on any shoreline. You'll have the shore break, which is right there on the, kind of basically just white water where you can almost quite stand up. And you can kind of ride those when you're first learning how. You're absolutely right. You take the board. I actually right now I'm riding a board that's about nine foot six. So I write kind of ride more of a longboard style board. But uh, I take the board out and my coach is with me. So he's right next to me. He's usually on a board himself. Um, he's giving me verbal cues as we go out. And I have to paddle through or over the waves as they come in. So I paddle, you know, a few hundred yards out. And basically you get to the spot where it's just before the waves break. So you can comfortably kind of pick a wave. You don't have to just go because the wave's going to crash into you. You want to get out of that impact zone. So you get further out and you turn around and you get in position. And this is where Coach Pat helps a lot. You know, he'll help me line up kind of it's like, I, you know, turn to your left a little bit. Like, all right, a wave's coming. And so you're on your, your belly heading towards shore and you paddle towards shore to time where the wave comes up behind you and you can get up on the crest of the wave and then the idea is that you paddle to time it and you stand up. And the quicker you can stand up, the better. 
then you can drop down the face of the wave and then continue to ride the, the wave based on, uh, on feel and sound at that point. So when I was a kid, I used to body surf quite a bit. Okay. So you, yeah, you kind of have an idea, a little bit of respect for the ocean there. Yeah. Right. So you could do a lot by feel mm-hmm. in terms of you could feel a little sucking of the wave just before it's going to scoop you up. I assume you kind of do that or is your coach mostly give you cues? How does that work? Well, it's a little bit of both. You know, if I'm just out there for fun, I can, you know, kind of try and, and sometimes I'm feeling good. Like I went out last time uh, and I had surfed and uh, he had given me a cue on the, on the big wave. And then I was on the inside because he was working with me and one other guy. And I felt the wave come and I rode the reform in. The reform is basically a lot of times the wave will break. It'll fizzle out and it'll reform again on that shore break. So you can kind of surf by feel. But for consistent riding of the wave, uh, having a knowledgeable and experienced coach is absolutely huge, especially in competition. You have like 20 minutes, maybe. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you might have 30, but most heats are about 20 minutes. And you got to be able to catch that wave and, and be in the right position. And get a good wave. Yeah, get a good wave and also time it, you know, because you might think that you're in position to stand up. But if you stand up too early, you might miss it and it might crash over you and kind of knock you off your board right away. Or if you get up too late, it'll fizzle out on you and you'll just you'll stall out. Mm-hmm. So it's it's really important to time it just right. Well, I can certainly vouch for the importance of hopping into the wave and getting your timing right. Because even when I was body surfing, where essentially you're doing the same thing as surfing, you hop into the wave at the right point when you think it's about to uh, start progressing towards the shore. And if you get that wrong, that water is very powerful. It's very massive, and you just don't have any control of where it's going to put you. And you feel like you're in a big, giant washing machine until it spits you up on the shore. You're absolutely right. So also, when I was young, I was able to see somewhat, and I could Mm -hmm. tell where the shore was. There's a lot of noise out there with the waves crashing and rolling in. Mm -hmm. Do you lose your sense of direction? How do you know which direction you're going? Sometimes. You know, when you're sitting out on the outside, and that's when I say on the outside, I mean past that far break, you can kind of hear the waves crashing and you can kind of hear, okay, I can kind of feel the water a little bit here kind of going underneath me. So you might have the general direction of knowing where shore is, but your angle might be off. Right. So, you know, you have left and rights. So most waves usually kind of go a little bit right or a little bit left in terms of how they're curling over the lip. And so one of the things there that you have to be aware of is angled just right. And that's where the coach will be really helpful because I might be in a position to be able to ride it for a while. But if it's a left and I'm trying to turn right into a left, I'm going to end up going over the lip of the wave and I'm actually not going to be able to ride it as long. Right. Does your coach ride in with you when you catch a wave? Not generally. He might sometimes, depending on how crowded it is out there. But certainly for competition, more than likely, he will stay past the break so that, you know, let's say I ride it and maybe I ride it for a while or maybe I just ride it for a few beats. You know, beat is like a second, second and a half. He's there to shout to me. He's like, all right, paddle back. And he's yelling back to me because he's not allowed to touch me at all, especially in competition. So it has to be audio cues only. Mm-hmm. So he's there sort of an audio cue as to where I need to go. If you can hear him over the waves. (laughs) Right. And part of it is I just rode the waves. So my responsibility then I can feel the waves coming and I have to paddle out back the directions the waves are coming. And so part of it is as I get closer to him, then he'll help me time it so that I can 
more effectively get over the waves. So like one of the things you might do is you duck dive the nose of your board underneath the wave so that there's water coming between you and your board. So it's not just pushing you back into shore. If you don't time it right, you can be trying to paddle back. And if you don't time that just right, you can find yourself being knocked off your board or being pushed back to shore. When that's honestly the, the more exhausting part of surfing isn't the surfing part. It's the paddling through water that's trying to push you the opposite direction you're trying to surf. That can be a lot of work, I presume. Oh, it can be exhausting. I'll, I'll tell you. You know, the, when I started surfing for real and not just going to the, the events and, and not to minimize anybody who's tried that, it's a different story to try to paddle out past that break and, and to get out there when the ocean is not a beast you can contain. You know, when it wants to push you into shore, well, it, it's going to do that. That water is very strong and forceful. It can be. Where were you body surfing? I'm curious, Peter. Oh, Fire Island off Long Island. Okay. And not to minimize the Atlantic Ocean, I have a friend of mine who just visited from Florida, and he said the waves on the West Coast are considerably higher. I think so, yes. <laughs> so far, I think the biggest one I've dropped down is about an eight-foot wave. Wow. Maybe a little bigger, but you know, it's not uncommon to have uh, four- to six-foot waves uh, Oceanside Harbor, which is where I usually surf. That's pretty standard. Are you tethered to the board so when you fall off, you know where to grab it? Yeah, I have a leash on the board. So, uh, and that's actually one of the big ones too. And that there is a risk involved in being attached to your board if you don't know how to attach your leash properly, or if it, there's a knot or you get tangled up in it. That has its own set of risks. And I can share something that happened relevant to that. But it is really helpful to be able to get control of my board. In competition, every little second counts. So, if it takes me two minutes to get my board, that's two minutes that I could have been paddling out. And the more uh, efficiently I can get out past the break, the more uh, time I might have to rest so that I have plenty of energy to paddle for that next wave or the more opportunity I have to let that next wave go by because maybe, you know, it might not be a good wave for me to take. Right. I would guess there's also a danger of falling off the board and then the water takes the board and can slam it into you. It's not a matter of if the board is going to hit you. It's a matter of when. Ouch. So one of the safety measures I take uh, is I wear an aquatic gaff helmet. I've been hit in the face and the head with the board. So part of it is is knowing how to cover up when you fall off. You kind of frame up your arms in front of your face just to kind of protect your face. You don't want your teeth knocked out or anything like that. Um, but, you know, I've had it where I've fallen off the board and then the board has come out behind me, hit me in the back of the head. And that would have been much more serious if I wasn't wearing the helmet. Before we ask about some of your exciting incidents, as you might call them, uh -huh. how are the competitions graded? What are people looking for? What they're largely looking for is difficulty of wave and also the length of your ride. And then after that, judges will also look at the quality of your maneuvers on the wave. So if, say, for example, you're able to do some interesting turns or some uh, you know, aerials, which doesn't happen too often in the visually impaired division because that's a little more, you have to have a real intimate knowledge of where the wave is. Yeah. So it's like many of these other competitive athletic events where, you know, they grade you on a number of items and you sort of balance it off what's most comfortable for you. Yeah. The, the two big ones, honestly, uh, if you want to do well in surfing, you have to be able to get to your feet quick. Every time that you're not standing up and that your hands, you know, if basically you only get scored for the length of time that both feet are on the, on the board and your hands are not touching the board. Mm -hmm. So if, if you are kind of doing this tripod thing or if you're doing a, 
a knee to your feet thing, you're just not going to get nearly the length of ride. And that length of ride, especially considering how challenging it can be to really feel or hear the wave and kind of know what kind of maneuvers you can do, the biggest way to up your score if you are a, a competitive surfer in the blinded, visually impaired arena is to be able to ride that wave for longer. How long would you say a really good ride is? It depends on the surf conditions. But is it like seconds or minutes? Uh, we're talking seconds. Uh-huh. Yeah. So we're talking seconds. You know, Oceanside, I've maybe ridden anywhere between 90 and 100 yards. I've, I've documented. I have a, a GPS watch that I've recently gotten sponsored by Rip Curl. They've sponsored me with a watch to be able to track my waves. And how long might that take you, a 90-yard ride? Just a few seconds. It's quick. Yeah, no, it's it's over pretty quick. Maybe, you know, five, ten seconds tops. Mm-hmm. You know, in Waikiki, I rode probably 200 yards, and, and they're not nearly as fast moving. So I, it was a longer time. Obviously, I rode for longer, but they're smoother waves. Um, they're also not as steep. Um, so it's a much more forgiving wave. Mm-hmm. You know, I was uh, fortunate enough to be the first totally blind surfer to ride Kelly Slater's wave pool. So that's a man-made wave. I rode that one for about 16 seconds, and that was, oh gosh, 150 yards, 100, you know, somewhere in that range. I, I have to actually look to be sure, mm-hmm. but it's going to vary a lot based on the conditions that you're, and then that's kind of the unique, kind of exciting thing about surfing is you have to really let go. You cannot control what the ocean's going to do. In the ocean, every single wave is different. So you referred to some incident where there was an issue between you're being tethered to the surfboard and where you were. Can you tell us that story? Yeah. So it, it actually didn't affect me as much as it did my coach. You, you know, I was working with Coach Pat. We were out in the water and it was kind of bumpy, you know, not, not exactly real great. And I was still really inexperienced, to be perfectly honest. I was standing. It was probably about waist high. And Coach had the board and there's the leash. And then the, oftentimes there's a little bit of a, a line, like a smaller tether between the leash itself and the actual board. And a big wave came, knocked me over, and the board went flying. And Coach felt a little bit of a pinch. And uh, he lost the tip of his pinky. Oh. Ooh. Because his finger was caught in that leash line. You know, what does he do? Is there's like, did, he's like, did that really just happen? You know, <laughs> and what does he do? He, he takes my fingers like, hey, hey, Josh, check this out. And he puts my finger right in the wound, you know, because like he's, he's in shock, you know. Oh. <laughs> um, ultimately, he, he's OK. The the uh, the quip that the because, uh, you know, there are a lot of people in these adaptive surfing competitions that, you know, some of them have uh, amputations of, you know, their legs and stuff. And I said, I'm sorry, coach, that doesn't count. You're not going to be able to join the adaptive uh, surf division here. So, Gee. but yeah, you know, it is an extreme sport. You know, if, in, in the strict sense of the word, you know, people have been seriously hurt and even died surfing. Is it generally pretty safe? Yeah, I think so. I think if you have a competent coach and, and if you have decent training and you're not trying to go surf waves that are beyond your ability, then you're fine, honestly. That isn't the most serious surf injury I've ever heard of. It's just the most significant one so far uh, that I've been, you know, directly connected to. Wow. Well, as we mentioned, that water can certainly be powerful, and it demands some respect from people who are in it surfing or taking advantage of some other activities. 
now for this week's final item, how to learn more about adaptive surfing, how you can get involved, and how you can contact Joshua Loya if you have any questions. So if people are interested in finding out more about how to surf with a visual impairment, where would you direct them? I'm certainly happy to answer any questions that as far as my experience goes. So, you know, feel free to to email me at Joshua at JoshuaTheJedi.com. And no, I did not choose that nickname. Uh, I would not, but since it was given to me, I'm absolutely going to run with it. So I'm happy to answer their questions directly. I would probably recommend them looking up Challenged Athletes Foundation. They are a really fantastic organization that uh, helps provide grants to adaptive athletes. Um, they have a huge list of references of different sport organizations, not just for surfing, but also for cycling and you know rock climbing and all that kind of stuff. They would probably be a really good place to start. And then you know I would imagine that you know local ACB or NFB chapters, or certainly if somebody is in another country, um, you know you different support organizations for the visually impaired, they may be able to give you some good resources. And if anybody wanted more information about the adaptive surfing team, where would they find that? Probably the best uh, place to look is uh, usasurfing.org, but I would also check out uh, Stoked for Life. If you Google Stoked for Life uh, Surfing, uh, that's a local adaptive surfing organization. They do work with people who um, not only have visual impairments, but also have spinal cord injuries and that sort of thing, and they can get you in touch with uh, somebody who might be able to show you the ropes. Great. And of course, Swami's Surfing Association in San Diego would be another good place to start. Joshua, do you have a social media presence? Um, I do. If you want to check me out on Twitter, it's at Servant Warrior, S-E-R-V-A-N-T-W-A-R-R-I-O-R. I am on Instagram, though it is not exactly the most accessible uh, for a totally blind person, uh, Joshua the Jedi. And uh, I do have a Snapchat as well, uh, Joshua underscore the Jedi. Then if, certainly I'm on Facebook. If somebody wants to look me up for my personal information, just look for Joshua Loya. And then uh, if they want to look for my fan page, which I do need to update, it's uh, facebook.com slash Joshua the Jedi. So it is possible, and people should check it out if they want a challenge and some fun times. Most definitely. And, of course, you can find all of that contact information, URLs, etc., in the show notes associated with this episode at www.eyesonsuccess.net. And, you know, we've done a large number of shows covering many different kinds of sports that people have done with various degrees of vision impairments. And if you're interested in seeing how some of those sports are done with a visual impairment, just go to our website And in the search field, type the word sports, and you'll be presented with a list of shows along with links to the audio and show notes for those episodes. Enjoy. That's it for show number 1904. Next week on Eyes on Success, we'll be talking with a blind software developer. Florian Byers is a young Dutch man who first got introduced to computers as a youth and was basically self-taught for a very long time until he discovered some courses in computer programming and ultimately got a degree in computer science. And we will talk with him about how he achieved his education, both self-taught and more formal, and how he's managed to get and succeed in a number of 
employment opportunities. If you have any questions regarding something you've heard about on the show or you'd like to share an idea for a future show, send an email to hosts at eyesonsuccess.net or call us at 585-210-8094. You've been listening to Eyes on Success, hosted and produced by Nancy Goodman Torpy and Peter Torpy and distributed by WXXI Reach Out Radio. Browse the full archive of programs, find instructions for subscribing to the podcasts, and much more at www.eyesonsuccess.net. You can also find us on iTunes and follow us on Facebook at Eyes on Success or Twitter at underscore Eyes on Success. We hope you will join us again next week for more information and updates on products for accessible living. Thanks for listening to Eyes on Success and have a nice day.